Amen and amen. Now look at that person beside you just praying for and say, I really meant that. Thank you, Jesus. Well, praise God. I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad you were hungry enough to tune in. God is good. Amen. Well, praise God. Get your Bibles out. And if you would, just throw them open. No, go to the book of Proverbs chapter 19 first. Proverbs 19, just open it up there. Actually, verse 3, Proverbs 19, 3. Now, I, I, I want to tell you, y'all may say, Pastor, you sound like a broken record, but I don't care. I'm not quitting. I'm going to hammer this home till everybody's free of living in conjecture and supposition. Uh, I'm going to keep those words so y'all just hear them at night, just, just, telling, just driving you nuts. Where you can't sit and talk to anybody, somebody's just going to say, that's conjecture, and just start setting us all right so that we can live our lives by the Word of God, not by conjecture or supposition. The definition of conjecture, I've given you this before, but I'm giving it to you again tonight. It means formed without proof or sufficient evidence. That's what conjecture is. There is not sufficient evidence. Can I have an Amen. Okay, there's not sufficient evidence. The devil loves to come to us and get us in there and get us into conjecture because conjecture doesn't really have proof or sufficient evidence. It's just a thought. It's a whisper. If you remember, one time God delivered all of Israel, uh, that Jerusalem was under attack and by the Assyrians, and, and, he, and it says he caused a whisper to go into them, and they heard there was something going on back at, at home, and so the whole army turned and they, were, they were, had victory because of a whisper. Well, the devil knows this. He knows that's what he's going to do. He knows if he can whisper in your ear and you'll listen to it, then you're going to start making conjecture because you're going to start basing thoughts, words, feelings, emotions, fears, anxieties, whatever comes with all of that stuff on insufficient evidence, Okay. It also means a conclusion or deduced by summarize or guesswork. That's what conjecture means. You're guessing. None of us knows, none of us knows exactly what's going to come in the future. None of us knows. All right? I mean, just look around here. You could have been sitting here in, uh, you know, January, I guess. I don't remember when exactly the rain came. And everything was so dry and everything looked so bad. And you just think you could just you could have conjectured guesswork said, man, it's going to be a dry spring. Ain't nothing going to happen. And then the next thing you know, overnight, unexpected, not when when they're really predicting big rain, we get boom, a big rain. All of a sudden, grass is green. Now we got humidity. All of us mosquitoes are growing. Hello. Got all these problems. That deal, deal with grass, got to mow the grass, got to try to find a, find a lawnmower. You can't even get a lawnmower anymore. Lawnmower prices has gone out of the roof. You know, now you got a lawn to mow because you didn't before, right? But it happened overnight, just boom, and the next day, green grass, everything outside just going, oh. Guesswork. You didn't know it was going to do that. Okay, supposition, supposition means something that is supposed it's a hypothesis. It's supposed, okay? 
I love how the dictionary is right there saying it. It is the act of supposing. Supposition. It is the act of supposing. It is means you put energy into supposing. All right? Now, with that being said, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. It says, The foolishness of a man twists his ways, and his heart frets against the Lord. The foolishness of a man twists his ways. In other words, in other words, if a man begins to act foolishly, and it, this word foolishness ties back with the message I preached, I don't know how long ago, about useful fools, it actually ties back. Foolishness means a person who won't take in wisdom. So the foolishness of a man twists his ways. In other words, if you get to listening to conjecture and supposition, your way is going to get twisted. And then when your way gets twisted, then the devil's got you because he's got you going exactly where he wants you to go. You're going right down the road to fear, right down the road to worry, right down the road to anxiety because he's got you there because he knows it'll work. He knows if he can throw it out there in front of you, dangle the bait in front of you and you bite. Oh, he's got you now. You're going in fear. Okay. It says the foolish man twists his waist and then what happens? His heart begins to fret against the Lord. In other words, he starts turning on God. How many times have I seen something happens and doesn't go right? And somebody said, well, why'd God do that? Well, how did you get turned? It was God. Okay. But why? Your way gets twisted. So if you let me take this a step further, then if your way gets twisted far enough, you're going to turn against God. You're going to get warped and twisted. Okay, so this is what the devil knows about getting you to walk in conjecture and supposition. Now, I'll do it like this, and I don't know this. There's probably some big psychological study that you could read and learn more about this. But I, I say there's I, I'm putting thoughts into three categories. The first category of here would be godly thoughts, good thoughts. Okay. The second, the, 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 the second category would be just your everyday thoughts, okay? Uh, we're out of green beans, we need coffee, we need to go to the grocery store today. Just general thoughts, okay? They don't have anything necessarily to do with God, don't have anything necessarily to do with the devil. You're just living your life. You just have these thoughts of, you know, project that needs to be done, you, you need to pay the bill, you know, whatever. They're just thoughts, and then the third class of thoughts are the demonic thoughts. So the thoughts that the devil is trying to put into you through conjecture and supposition. Okay? So, I'm, I mean, like I said, there's probably some big breakdown, some big psychological thing that you could go find all more information about this. But for me, the little simple Robert, this is the way I do it. You got three sets of thoughts. Godly thoughts, good thoughts. What God says about you, what God's word says about you, what you know, uh, you're, who you're praying for, um, visions, dreams, what you want to see in your family, what, you know, these are all godly thoughts, right? And then there's just, like I said, you just, you've got to clean the house today, or you've got to fill up the car with gas, or, you know, these kind of thoughts, right? Which you got to have the middle kind of thoughts, so you're not going to be able to function. Hello? You're working a job, how you run the piece of equipment, you know, whatever you're doing or whatever's in the job, you've got to have those kind of thoughts. But 
than these demonic thoughts. And I challenged you this a while back, and I don't know how many of y'all did it. You probably just left and went home and ate roast or something. But uh, I hope not, because I challenge you to start being aware of your thoughts and even start seeing how much time you're wasting on conjecture and supposition. And I want to tell y'all something. Uh, I, you know, I tell you, I always, this is, I'm preaching from my overflow. God spoke this to me first. He was talking to me about my own life, and I'm just sharing it with y'all. And this is how it's always worked for the past 28 years. But I tell you what, I, I, I've, I have thought myself happy. I mean, literally, I am being very, very aware of thoughts that come to me, thoughts that, that just pop in, thoughts that are, you know, just spontaneous cognition of just the thought that jumps in my mind. What is that thought? Why is that thought there? Where did it come from? I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. That's not, a, that's, a, that's, that's not of God. That's not what the word says. And I have just been on top of it. And man, I, I looked at my wife's afternoon. I said, man, I'm, I don't know. It kind of feels funny. I'm, I'm happy. No reason. Didn't get a big prize in the mail or something, you know, no reason to necessarily be happy. I just kind of feel kind of happy today. Why? Because of controlling the thoughts. Now, if you're a person that likes to have everything arranged, everything organized, everything put in its place, well, then you'll spend all your thought life trying to get it, and the devil's always going to be speaking to you saying, well, you're not going to get there. You're not going to make it. You know, what's wrong? Why isn't that line up in this line? Because you're trying to get everything controlled and right down the road, all your ducks in a row, you know, and sometimes it's just like herding cats. It's easier just to stop and say, Lord, I just thank you for the power of God in the mind of Christ, and you're going to get everything where it's going to go, and it's easier. Listen to me. Listen to me. Oh, listen to me, church. It's easier to have faith that God will move the mountain than it is for you to try to get the mountain moved. It truly is. It would be better to sit down and pray and build your faith than it would be to try to sit there and get everything organized because you're not going to get all those cats going down the road. They refuse to be herded. You can't herd cats. And sometimes you just have to say, oh, well, God, you know, maybe that needs to take place tomorrow. Maybe it doesn't have to like take, take place today. And so anyway, this is the way you got to do it. And as you begin to grab hold of your thoughts, you begin to get hold of those things and get them in, in the control. Well, listen to me. Then something's going to happen. And what, that, what happens is called walking in the Spirit. Now let's go a little deeper here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. I know I read this on Sunday, but we're going to read it again. Matter of fact... Let me turn there. Let's look at verse 25. Or is that what I said? Okay, let's look at 25. Listen to what, how Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Okay, now he's talking about the love between a man and a woman in a, in a marriage. But now he's talking about the love that Jesus has for the body of Christ, the church that he might sanctify and cleanse her. The her here is the church. Y'all see that? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, nor any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So Paul's telling the church at Ephesus, he's saying, look here, look, 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 look. I, I, you got to understand the plan of God. 
Jesus, just like a husband loves his wife, so Jesus loves the church. And he wants the church, his body. That's you. Everybody say, it's me. Every believer, every one of you that's a believer in Jesus Christ, that's you, the church. You're in that scripture. He says, I want you cleansed. I want you, he said, I want you without spot or wrinkle, that you should be holy and without blemish. I mean, come on, folks. This is, this is, uh, this is pretty good. Holy, no spots, no wrinkles, and no blemishes. Hello? That's pretty impressive. No spots, no wrinkles. Sounds like you're talking about an old person here, okay? No spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes. Holy. So he said, how's he going to do it? Oh, he's going to use the washing of the water of the word. So you have to understand something. And like I said, I'm not going to get off of this until we get, all get it. Because what he is saying there is that the word of God, according to a lot of different scriptures, Hebrews 4, a lot of different scriptures, is powerful. It has an ability to come into you, and it has an ability to connect with something that's in you. Well, what's in you? The Spirit of God when you were born again. John chapter 3, we looked at all that Sunday. When the Spirit of God came and lived on the inside, there's something in you. His Spirit. And it says Christ is wanting to be formed in us. And so what's happening is when the Word and your Spirit connect, then God begins to work and take out all the wrinkles, take out all the spots, take out all the blemishes, and is able to make something holy that he can present to himself. Without the word, you can't walk in the spirit. Hear what I'm saying? Without the word, you can't walk in the spirit. Without the word of the living God, you cannot walk in the spirit. That's why it blows my mind that do you realize this? That, that this Bible that you can buy all over everywhere, all these, you know, different translations and different things like that and all the different covers and the pretty covers and the flower covers and the black ones and, the, you know, all these different Bibles that you can get. That you, if, if someone has it sitting on their coffee table or stuck in their bookcase or something and they've never read it, that the very source of the fountain of life was sitting right there in the bookcase, and it never touched them because they didn't know it. What a shame. What a shame. Think about it like this. When penicillin was invented, it was like a miracle drug because all of a sudden they've been fighting infections with sulfur drugs and all this kind of stuff like this, and all of a sudden penicillin, they came up with penicillin. And, 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 and here's this, this, this drug that people could take and it would cure an infection and people that were dying and would have died from it. I mean, like, you know, the doctor looks at it and says, oh, you're going to die. Now all of a sudden he says, here, I've got this bottle of penicillin. Are you all with me? Now you think about that. <laughs> I mean... A guy invents penicillin. I don't know all the whole story of the invention of penicillin, okay? I'm making all this up. But he looks at some mold on some cheese one night and said, I think that might just cure humanity. Are y'all, do you see how crazy that sounds? The wife's about to throw it out. And he says, stop. I think that will cure humanity. 
You talk about looking like conjecture and supposition, right? But my point being that, folks, there's so many things that we don't understand, we don't know. All right? And how we let the devil talk us into things that take us down the road that twist our way is really kind of mind-blowing to me. And then you take God's side of things, and I don't know. Again, y'all just let me have this one tonight, okay? It's been a long day, and, you know, I just, just, just give it to me. What if God was sitting there at the throne the whole time saying, look at the G's, look at the G's, look at the G's. Come on, put the G's in front of me, cut the G's. Jumping up and down saying, there's the answer, there's the answer, no, the cheese, the cheese. And the wife says, there's mold on this cheese. Oh, my God, I'm going to throw it away. And he's like, don't throw the cheese away. I know it all didn't happen like that, but give it to me, okay? God just working on it, trying to get us to do it. How many times is God working on us when the devil's got us twisted all up in some thought and conjecture and supposition that we've made that God's just standing on the throne, jumping up and down, screaming, saying, don't do it. Turn, don't believe that. That's not real. What does my word say? Yes, Lord, but we believe the promises and we're not seeing anything and I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go over here with conjecture and supposition. I mean, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has, is cursed. There's bad things that happen, but I'm telling you, God's word has an ability to connect with the spirit on the inside of us, to change the outlook, to change the everything that's going on, to change everything in our lives. But we have to do something with it. We, we have to make the connection. We have to take the word. We have to take the spirit of God on the inside of us and boom, we got to make a connection. When I stopped Sunday, and by the way, I'm, I never got to really point three, four, five Sunday, but I went to this, this last part about, about what does it mean? You take Psalms 23 and you say, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm telling you, you could take that Psalms 23 and you could read it as if it was a poem written and it really doesn't mean any life-giving words and say, oh, isn't that sweet? And it'll do nothing for you. The secret's not buying a Bible. That ain't going to get you anywhere. I remember back in the, I don't know if it was the 80s, eh, probably it was the 90s, uh, somebody came out with uh, scripture-covered sheets. You know, there was the sheets. You could buy sheets for your bed that had scriptures on a pillowcase. And they said, you know, if you slept on the word of God, you know, you get it, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you ain't going to get it. I mean, it may be kind of maybe if you read it on the sheet that night, you know, and, and it leaped out to you or something. But just laying on the word of God's not going to get you. You know, you can't sleep with your head on the Bible and, it, and you're going to get it right. You have to you have to do something with it. You have to take the word of God. You have to say, the Lord is my shepherd. But, oh, my shepherds. Okay, what do shepherds do? Shepherds lead. Shepherds 
uh, oh, wait a minute, that goes over there with that other scripture about sheep being in a pen and they hear their shepherd's voice. And oh, so Lord, the shepherd speaks to the sheep and you want to speak to me. And Lord, I believe I hear your voice because you said I have the mind of Christ and then I can hear the voice of God. God, I want to just hear your voice. I want to walk with you. And all of a sudden something starts happening down on the inside of you. It starts, it starts churning. It starts, the spirit of God starts bubbling. That fountain of living water starts bubbling. But if you don't do that, you say, well, I don't know. I don't like to read. I don't like to say anything. I just like to pray silently over here in the corner. I'll make it. It'll be okay. Well, you're not, you're not going to ever experience what I'm talking about, Amen. of what it truly means to walk in the Spirit. When you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Lord, but I do want. I don't know how many times in my first years of serving the Lord, I read the Psalms 23. Of course, I knew the Psalms 23. I could quote Psalms 23 to you when I was not saved. Because I learned it when I was in Sunday school and my parents taking me to church. And I could quote it to you. But it didn't mean anything to me. I may never walked in the spirit of Psalms 23. But I remember praying it in the first. I said, Lord, as my shepherd, I shall not want. But Lord, I do want. I have wants. I have needs. I want. Didn't make any sense to me. But just think of this. If you take Psalms 23, 1, and you say, I shall not want. Oh, I shall not want because you already said over here in Isaiah 54, 17, that every weapon that forms against me is not going to prosper. Oh, and, and you say over here and you start tying all these scriptures together that, Lord, you, you, you said the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. But, uh, Lord, you've come to give me life and life more abundantly. Oh, you said over here in Ephesians 3 and 20 that that if 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 I pray, you want to do more than even what I'm asking for. You start to see, oh, God, I see you are wanting to do abundantly for me. God, you're for me. You're not against me. I may have some wants, but you're wanting to change that. Oh, maybe I need to change some things in my life so I get out of this place I'm in, so I, the twisted way, because I've been listening to the devil too much, and get over here in the right way. That's called walking in the Spirit. That is the walk of the Spirit. The walk of the Spirit is not God speaks to you. I want you to move three paces forward. Okay, Lord. One, Okay. Now what, Lord? That's not the walk of the Spirit. The walk of the Spirit is every thought comes to you. Boom, you shoot it down with the Word. Because it's living in you. It's alive. And it's starting to take the wrinkles off. The blemishes off. Starting to make you holy. Starting to work in you. Starting to bring conviction on you. Starting to bring conviction on you. Things that maybe you've gotten slack in, you, you, you needed to do something with, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Lord, you don't want me to just be in a dry land. You want me to be in green pastures. You want me to be in good grass, good fertile grass, good, going soft grass. Doesn't have chiggers in it. No grass burrs or chiggers, free, chigger-free area. The next part uh, there, he restores my soul. No, excuse me. He leads me beside the still waters. When I was a young man growing up, I had a friend and on their ranch. The Savannah River ran through it. And there was this one section, whenever the, the river was up that year and it was flowing good, there, it was just beautiful. And there was a big pool of water and it, and it flowed down and then there was rocks and it, a little waterfall and you could dive off these rocks and down in there and it's just man we went back and we swam there as kids all the time all the time and it was just it was such a 
such a pretty place. But as a kid, we had a lot of fun there. And every time I read that, he leads me beside the still waters. It's like that imagery is what pops in my head of this place of joy and fun and laughter and comfort. And, 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 you know, and why do people come up here and want to go to the river? Because they've been in that place that still, that, that place uh, right here that Psalms 23 is talking about where there was joy and there was laughter and it was cool and it was good and it was fun and it was, see, and when you start thinking about that and say, okay, you want to take me to green pastures, but you want only also to be by the still waters and, and enjoy and refresh. God, what an awesome God you are that that's what you want in my life. That you want me restored, you want me whole. You, this is the place you want. The world may have, and the curse in this world may have pounded upon me and stolen from me and hurt me and wounded me and bruised me and, and all this, but, the, but, but Lord, this is the place you want me to go. And folks, the moment by the Holy Spirit you realize that, then you're, you're man, you're getting healed. You're getting the spots taken away. You're getting the blemishes off. You're getting the wrinkles out. You're getting the dents out. You're getting all the chinks in your armor out. All of a sudden things are happening because you're realizing this God is who wants to take you to that place. And that's what he wants to do for you. This world is unfair and people are unfair and people are unjust and things happen in this world. But I'm telling you, that's who God is. And when you start tapping into that by your spirit and saying, Lord, I want to know that person more. Now you're starting to walk with the spirit. Now, all of a sudden, you're starting to you're starting to get by those rivers of water and those green fields. And you're starting to not sit in the green fields by the still waters, thinking, conjecture and supposition. Because that's what's happened to a lot of us. And then he says he restores my soul. To be able to look and to know that God wants you restored. God wants you whole. God wants you complete. God doesn't want you hurting. God doesn't want you in pain. God doesn't. There is no place in this word for God to torment you. I, I was reading this morning over in, I'm, I'm in the book of Second Chronicles, and I was reading about uh, well, actually, I read this in Jeremiah, where here's Jeremiah the prophet, and he's having to prophesy the worst prophecy in the world. He's having to go up there to the people of Israel and prophesy to them the king, the king of Babylon is going to come in here and destroy this. God is against the city. God is going to take you down. If you fight, if you try to go to war, if you resist, then pestilence is going to come upon you. You're going to die a miserable death. The only choice you have is to give yourself to the king of Babylon, go out there, leave this city, go out there, become a prisoner, and, take, and then you're going to find your life will become precious to you. That's a tough prophecy. That is a tough, oh, Jeremiah, man, he, whoa. Man, my hat's off to you, bud. I am so glad I'm not in the Jeremiah ministry. That would be rough. And everybody's saying, fool, what are you going to And I can see, you know, I like, like I'm a visual person. When I'm reading this morning, I'm thinking about all the guys out there that are ready for war. Saying, oh, how many times? All right. Remember Hezekiah? Remember Hezekiah? When the, when the angel came down and delivered them all and he killed 185,000 Assyrians? Oh, yeah, that could happen. That could happen, guys. That could happen. And he's trying to encourage everybody. And they're, they're getting their swords. Man, we're tough. We've been practicing. Man, we got some new moves. We can take them. We can do it. And Jeremiah is saying, yea, hey, thus saith the Lord, you will be destroyed. Give up and go to the king of Babylon. 
You're going to live there for 70 years. That's tough prophecy. But it's really tough. Listen to me. Hear me. It's really tough at that moment. What are you going to do? Are you going to believe the word of God? Are you going to believe in your own strength and conjecture and supposition? And what I'm saying to everyone tonight, what do you believe in? You believe in your own strength, your own power. Are you going to get yourself out of this trouble? Are you going to get it all fixed? You're going to get all your ducks in a row and everything's going to work out right. Are you going to do what? Oh, the scriptures tell us, which doesn't sound very funny. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I choose not to live in my flesh, but I choose to live by faith in the Son of God. Folks, so the walk of the Spirit has to do with your faith, believing that God's word is true, and then putting it into practice. It has to do with standing and looking at the face of adversity in life, the face of problems in life, the face of, of whatever lies or conjecture or whatever is going on in life, and standing your, in, looking at it in the face and saying, no, I choose to believe what the Word of God says. I choose to believe my God's going to prosper me. I choose to believe that God has an answer for this. I choose to believe that God's going to restore my soul. I choose to believe He's going to lead me by green, uh, green pastures and by still waters. I, I, I choose to believe that God is my shepherd. I choose to believe that I'm not going to have any wants. Lord, because that's what your word says. And I choose to believe your word. Folks, the minute you do that, the minute you make that connection in your spirit, then you're truly walking in the spirit. And then you know what's going to happen? Victory is yours. Does that mean everything's going to just change instantaneously right then? No. But what it means is you got yourself in the right path and you're not making twisted ways anymore that are going to lead you off. Now you're going to right path with God. So then the glory of God can begin to fill you, and then God can begin to direct you. God can begin to teach you what to do. God can begin to say, do this, do that, do this, and begin to work with you because now you're walking in the Spirit, and He can talk to you. I believe too many Christians just make their life all about just, you know, giving God a grocery list and wanting Him to perform it rather than learning the walk of the Spirit, which means fellowship with Him. 1 John 1 says, what, we walk in fellowship with Him? And we walk in fellowship him, well, then the light is there and cleanses us. His blood's there and sets us all free. Woo! But you got to get there in that walk. And so don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. I'm telling you, you've got to learn the walk of the Spirit. And the moment you do that, the moment you begin to walk in that, the moment you get out of your twisted ways, and not listening to conjecture and supposition, then you're going to find a place of peace. You're going to find a place of joy. And it's not going to be easy, no. You can't just go to sleep with your Bible under your pillow. But if you're born again, and you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then the power of God is on the inside of you. Jesus is on the inside of you. And you already got the connection you need to get that walk going. But what you've got to do is you've got to get your mind stayed on his word. And the moment you do that, then you can be walking because you've already made the first step. You're born again. Amen. So remember, the power of God's already on the inside of you. If you're out there watching tonight 
And you don't know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You don't know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You're thinking, this guy's nuts. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, then today's the day you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. He made it simple. He said, all we have to do is ask. All we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. All we have to do is take initiative to the amount of faith that's already been placed on the inside of you and say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe your blood washes away my sins. I want you in my life. Boom. It happens. It takes place. Now you got the power on the inside of you. Now you just got to get your mind to shut up, get it lined up with the Word of God, get that walk of the Spirit going, and you're going to see victory. Amen? Amen. Well, praise God. Well, put your Bibles up. I'm going to pray for you. Let's all just stand. God is so good, and He made it so easy, but we sometimes make it so difficult. So, Father, I just pray for them all tonight. Lord, I pray over every person watching, listening here tonight. Lord, I just declare that we're going to get this down. We're going to not live our lives by conjecture and supposition. And where we've developed strongholds in our minds and, and continual thoughts coming back around and around and around and around again, taking us down those twisted paths, I declare that stops in the name of Jesus. That this night, the anointing of God breaks the yokes within people's lives. I declare this night... People hear the word of God and it becomes alive to them and begins to set them free. That Lord, that, that the spirit of God that's on the inside rises up because it connects with the living word of God. And Lord, it destroys those yokes. I declare, Lord God, that your hand is upon us and that you're leading us and guiding us and directing us. And I declare that we're going to walk out the walk of the spirit and find victory and peace and joy with you. Now, Lord, I just declare that everyone's offerings are blessed tonight. Their giving is blessed tonight. I declare, Lord God, that we are a wealthy people because, Lord, you said we're a wealthy people. You said, Lord, in Psalms 1, everything that we put our hands to prospers. So, Lord, we're going to prosper no matter what the times look like, no matter what's going on. You're going to show us ways and ideas and witty inventions to do and walk in this life and through everything. So I praise you for it, Lord. Praise you for blessing them and ministering to them this night. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Hey, God bless you, church.